Protect the Rock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. You guys know that we love college football, but we actually love Taylor Swift more. GameTime is the best way to get tickets for everything from sporting events to shows by artists like T-Swift. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or Apple Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. And we're going to enjoy this tonight, but on Friday, we're going to have another team meeting and we're going to get locked in on next year. Welcome back to Protect the Rock. I'm Nicole Auerbach. She's Grace Rayner, as always. And this is a special podcast because we are doing an all-decade team, 2010 to 2020. Uh, and we are doing we are a bunch of articles on all the different beats that we cover, um, things across the sport of college football. Grace has a great piece detailing the all-decade team, the moments of the decade, all of basically the defining moments for Clemson football in its most successful decade. And um, we're going to talk about that. So Grace, great job, first of all. Were you even oh, you were like an infant at the beginning of the decade? So um, <laughs> I know that must have been difficult for you to catch up on some of those moments. Well, let uh, me think. Okay, the beginning of the decade. 2010. I, 2010, I would have been Don't senior, answer. In high, senior in high school. Okay. All right. That's, that's not that bad. I'm not that much older than you, so I will I will accept it. Okay. Thank um, you. So yeah. So actually, let's start there because it's actually a very important distinction that we're starting in 2010 and not 2009 because CJ Spiller is not listed in your all-decade team um, or listed in these moments. And you know, we've had him on our podcast and we've talked about this that so much of Clemson's success over the last decade really did start with him. Um, obviously, he was drafted in 2010 in the first round, ninth pick overall, um, but clearly like he was done with his career by then. So what would you like to say to the fans that are probably going to be in the comments complaining that CJ Spiller is not part of this? Yes, that is an incredibly important distinction. CJ just missed the cutoff, obviously, by a year. He would have finished at Clemson in 2009. Uh, this is very clearly a completely different article if we're going decade in terms of 2009 to 2019 but we're going 2010 to 2020 so don't freak out Spiller would <laughs> Spiller would have absolutely been on this he would have been honestly actually that I'm, I'm kind of glad I did not have to decide between choosing between him and Travis Etienne for who mm. the all-decade running back would have been that I think would have been an interesting uh, conversation I don't know well it, how, how about this at least like I know that you know obviously a part of the build and um, the success of this past decade really did have to do with recruiting. And when CJ was on our pod and talking about Dabo on the recruiting trail and, and those relationships that he's built, obviously that's taken off and, and Clemson can get in on any guy that they want anywhere in the country these days. But how, how do you kind of describe their recruiting and the way that they've been able to elevate that over the course of this decade and the success that obviously came with it on the field? Sure. I mean, I think you look at a guy, especially like CJ, and he was an out-of-state prospect. He 
obviously is from Florida. And I think that was kind of the beginning of Clemson going into other people's states and these top prospects in these other states feeling like it was okay to leave. And and CJ kind of made it cool to go to Clemson uh, when you're not from South Carolina and you've got some really good state school options where you are. And I think now we're seeing that just that is just magnified tenfold. I mean, you look at where Clemson is recruiting now in 2020, you're getting the top player out of Maryland. You're going into California. Uh, You're going into Texas. You're going into Georgia. They've got a really successful run in Florida. I mean, that Clemson's brand has just gone completely national. And I think that that has been simultaneous with this climb to the top of the mountain that they're currently on. Absolutely. Um, so let, let's start getting to the guys who are actually on the All-Decade team. Now, before we get into some of the big names, because, I mean, certainly people could guess, um, you know, who some of these these players are, but what was the toughest decision that you had to make? I mean, you just said you didn't have to make the C.J. Spiller, Travis Etienne decision. You were able to pick Travis. Um, was it quarterback or was that not? Because you have Deshaun Watson as your All-Decade player, too. So... Like, I mean, I understand the case for Trevor, but what what Deshaun did for the entirety of the program is different. Like, was that a tough decision for you? Yeah, I mean, I thought when I was thinking about kind of how I wanted to structure this, I ultimately decided to go with Deshaun because there's still some more that I want to see from Trevor. And I think that most Clemson fans would agree. I mean, granted, what Trevor has done has been remarkable. Uh, But at the time that we're putting this together, He's still in year two, and I think you look at a guy like Deshaun, and when you equate Clemson's national climb to prominence, I just don't think that you can leave Deshaun out of that picture. And when I just de- I decided pretty early actually that I wanted Deshaun to be my all decade player. That that was actually a pretty easy decision. And then I realized, okay, I probably can't have him as the all decade player and not have him as the all decade <laughs> quarterback. <laughs> well, can, can we like list like Trevor Lawrence as like a can we list him as like the punter or something just to like get him on this roster? Just to get him in roster? there. <laughs> yeah, like is that, is that possible? Do we get like an all-purpose player or something? I don't know. But no, it's certainly weird. But um, yeah, by the rules, we're going to blame a lot of this on the rules of the game <laughs> because, um, you know, it really does only get one full season in for Trevor Lawrence. His true freshman year, obviously insane, obviously a national championship. But I think you're right in terms of what Deshaun Watson meant to the climb. Um, and I don't think that Clemson is legitimized the way that it is without Deshaun Watson doing what he did, showing that, um, I mean, we're talking about kind of the changing, the, the evolutions of these offenses. And we've talked even on this podcast about like Alabama doing that and now LSU doing that. And they're all trying to get guys who have the skill set and the IQ and the arm of a Deshaun Watson. Um, and so it's really interesting. And I think, you know, to have somebody who can go toe to toe with Alabama and who can beat Alabama, that is, that's what's fascinating about Clemson's growth over the past decade is because everyone's been focused on Alabama's dynasty. But you could certainly make the case that what Clemson's done is a dynasty as well. And it's weird to have two dynasties existing at the same time, but I also can make that case that that's exactly what we've been living through. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that, you know, it's Dabo was actually asked, um, I guess it was, I guess it was after the second time they beat Bama, um, if Clemson was becoming a dynasty. And he sort of balked at it a little bit and said, 
you know, we're a, we're a long way from a dynasty, but I, I really don't know what else. But what else can you call it? That's the thing. That? What what other term is there? Like a, right, like that's that's why I think you you have to say that because a dynasty is sustained excellence, right? It's it's getting to the mountaintop and staying there. And I think winning a second national championship. I mean, I think everyone who watched these teams and programs closely knew that they were still at that level. You know, but I think winning two and to show that this was not like a flash in the pan, it wasn't only because of Deshaun Watson. That's where you have to look for words like dynasty. I think so. I mean, otherwise we should maybe go get a thesaurus and I, I just don't know <laughs> what other, I don't know what other word. I mean, Dabo, he, he was, he acknowledged, you know, they're climbing rapidly, but um, I don't even know that they're climbing anymore. I think they've arrived. Oh, absolutely. Well, Dabo loves learning new words, so maybe we should look up one for him on thesaurus.com. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, we have um, Ascendancy, Empire. <laughs> Empire. Empire. Um, we could, a reign, a tenure. Well, those, those kind of work. Um, hmm. Empire. That sounds so... Empire. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, well, while I continue to look for words here, tell, tell me more about the, some of the, the struggles when you were picking the All-Decade team. Obviously, there's a lot of familiar names. You know, we said Travis Etienne, you got Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Hunter Renfro. Was, was it actually, actually, that's where I want to ask you, was it tough to narrow that down? I mean, this is a place that has put so many great receivers into the NFL. Yeah, I mean, uh, I str- I would say the two areas I struggled the most would have been wide receiver and the D-line just because Clemson is pumping out a ridiculous amount of talent at both positions. Um, with that wide receiver group, it really came down to Hunter Renfro versus Mike Williams. And I know that they are two completely different players, um, but I ultimately went with Hunter because, I mean, the beginning of Clemson's dynasty quite literally does not exist without Hunter Renfro. And he had probably the most important moment in Clemson football history. And I don't think that um, – I don't know that people would really argue with that. So – I just felt like if you're looking at the 2010s and you're looking at this shift in momentum, uh, just the way that Hunter was so consistent and made so many massive plays, I just didn't feel like I could leave him off. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I wrote actually about him in that second title game as well. Um, and just this, the, there was that, that mystique around him, which I think is why, it's basically why we give him the honorary rose. It's why he's so beloved. But this mystique of this normal, everyday dude, maybe 5'10". Like, that's what he's listed at, maybe. Like, I feel like I was the same height as him. <laughs> and he, and I know Dabo's called him to look like a noodle, like all this. Just like a normal-looking human, kind of scrawny. And <laughs> Alabama's defense cannot account for him in multiple games. And I feel like that alone is worthy of inclusion on an all-decade team because to me – Picturing that and picturing how he would just constantly get behind or in between defenders for Alabama and just come up with these big plays. And then afterwards, Nick Saban and all these Alabama defenders would have to be like, everyone would be like, how did you not see or prepare for Hunter Renfro? You know, like right. that that became a thing um, was, as you mentioned, so important to those early teams that really went over that hump. Um, and I, I just think like him doing that in those moments when they're trying to prove that they're not just an equal to Alabama, but, but can beat them. You know, I, I agree completely with you. And so I, I would give the edge for those reasons as well as someone who covered those games too. Um, 
let's let's go through that D line. How how hard is it not to be just like biased? you know, recency bias and going oh with, you know, basically the whole line from last year. I mean, that was a historic group. Seriously, you could have, I really think you could have put the whole line from last year. I mean, I knew, I mean, I've ended up doing Vic Beasley, Grady Jarrett, Christian Wilkins, Clue and Farrell. You can absolutely make a case for Shaq Lawson. You can absolutely make a case for Dexter Lawrence. I mean, this is, I actually um, ended up texting one of Clemson's SIDs and being like, help, because that's just how stacked this D-line has been over these last several years, and I know Clemson kind of has branded itself as wide receiver U, but a lot of these guys, especially on the D-line, have said, well, I think we're becoming D-line U, too. And, I'm, yeah, that was another group that I was just – I just kind of stared at my computer for, like, 20, <laughs> 20 minutes trying to figure out, like, golly, how, how am I going to – I will say the last spot went to Grady Jarrett. That was the one that I was kind of – uh, I knew I wanted Beasley on there, and I knew I wanted Christian and Cleland, uh, but that last spot between Grady, Shaq, and Dexter Lawrence was incredibly tough. Well, and and I think that it really ties into some of the, mes- the most memorable moments of the decade that you wrote about as well. And number one really is number one, um, and probably the key to the whole thing, which is Brent Venables being hired. And it, it's really funny, too, because... I did a story in the preseason about defensive coordinators that had had one horrible game or one really disastrous season, and they were able to rebound and have success at the highest level. And Kevin Steele is one of them. And it was that Orange Bowl when West Virginia scored 70 points, and he lost his job. And then he went around, he went to Alabama, he went around, and now he has He's the architect of a great defense at Auburn. Our colleague Justin Ferguson just says, you know, they're setting records. They haven't seen this type of defense in 30 years at Auburn. And he was the one who gave up 70 points to West Virginia in the 2012 Orange Bowl, got fired, and that paved the way for Brent Venables. And it's so interesting considering where his career went from there as well. Yeah. I mean, I look at this Clemson defense now and granted, I've been covering Clemson since October of 2016, so I really have not covered them in a year that they were not dominant and certainly have not covered them in a year that they haven't been to the playoff. But the idea of a Clemson team giving up 70 points I just know. feels like a completely alternate universe. I can't even wrap my head around a Clemson team in this decade giving up 70 points. Well, and again, so that that prompts change. So where did they get Brent Venables from, um, and why was he the choice at that time? Yeah, so Venables obviously comes from Oklahoma, and this would have been in January of 2012. Um, and, you know, I think that there is, I don't know, you just look at Venables, and he's just the kind of guy that, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Dabo, but he's just the kind of guy that you immediately meet and you can pick up on how smart he is and how, I mean, we've talked about this many times on this podcast. He's just wired differently Mm -hmm. than most people. Um, This is a guy, we we were joking and laughing about this last week when he was saying that he doesn't watch that much film and then said it was six to eight hours a day on Sundays and Mondays. And we were laughing at it at the time, but this is a guy who really just operates completely differently than really anyone we've seen and he's obviously very quickly become one of the best defensive coordinators in college football um so I think it was an incredible hire by Dabo in that regard um 
But so yeah, at that at that point, he comes from Oklahoma, where he was the defensive coordinator, linebackers coach. Um, before that, he was at Kansas State coaching linebackers and started his career as a GA there. He played there, um, and it's so interesting that um, you know he came up through Bob Stoops and. That was a totally different era, A, of Big 12 football, but football in general, because you had defensive-minded guys. I mean, he, he's, he's coaching and really kind of like honing his craft under a defensive-minded head coach in Bob Stoops. And again, how all of this stuff is intertwined. I mean, after he leaves, um, or actually, was was it? I, I'm trying to figure out the timing now. I don't know if Mike Stoops returned, which prompted him to accept the job at Clemson, or if it was the opposite order. Um, but all of that was happening at the same time. And Mike Stoops, obviously, you know, has some success at Oklahoma and then now ends up red, like kind of around the it, uh, roundabout way, ends up leading to Alex Grinch. And we're wondering if Oklahoma's turned around their corner defensively as well. So it's so interesting how all of that stuff is intertwined. But January 2012, huge, huge turning point for the Clemson program. And I would say as a 1A, because if that's going to be the number one pivotal moment of the decade for Clemson, 1A would have to be keeping him sure. throughout oh, the decade. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a there's a cool story, too, about Venables first coming to Clemson. I think it was his wife, Julie, who really was kind of on board and kind of pushed him to have an open mind towards this. I mean, we know these, these college football coaches. You don't really invite – unnecessary change upon yourself if you don't feel like it's going to really benefit you. Um, So, yeah, I mean, getting him there, and then you're right, absolutely keeping him. I mean, this is a guy who every single year, every single time there's a coaching search anywhere in the country, it's like, is Brent Venables' name on the list? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So that's that's number one. Definitely, I think, far and away, the most memorable and important thing that happened to Clemson in this decade – um, number two is a really important one. We talked a little bit about the region that Clemson is in and going national, but flipping the rivalry against South Carolina to the point where, I mean, we haven't even talked about like all season. We have not said anything like, oh, Clemson's got to watch out for that South Carolina game, right? Like that is <laughs> not, we've not said that sentence once. Um, but from 2009 to 2013, South Carolina beat Clemson five years in a row. So we're talking about the early parts of the decade. We're talking about the C.J. Spiller's final season, um, all of that. What did it mean when it finally flipped? Uh, Yeah, I think that was such a huge moment for Clemson. And that's another reason why Deshaun got the all-decade nod because, as we know, he was the beginning of that flip, including a game that he played on a torn ACL. Um, But, yeah, in this state, as everyone listening knows – you know, there aren't any pro sports in South Carolina unless you're a Panthers fan, and even still then you're going to Charlotte. So when you're a kid born in South Carolina, it is one or the other. You're born into Clemson or you're born into South Carolina, and that's just how it is and how it always has been. You know, Dabo has kind of compared this rivalry to the Iron Bowl um, in, a, in a similar way with Alabama and Auburn. And so, yeah, for, for Clemson to not just flip it, but they – have now won five in a row themselves, going for six. Um, this is, yeah, this is a game that, and Dabo said this plenty of times before, there's your schedule, and then there's the South Carolina game. And so there, it's not lost on these Clemson fans how important it was that that got flipped. Obviously, other huge moments of the decade, making the college football playoff, 
Um, some of those Florida State games, we've talked about the Louisville game, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson going head-to-head. Um, then then we've got the national championship winning play, Hunter Renfro, we just dwelled on. I mean, that catch, the iconic moment. Um, Deshaun, in general, in that game, comeback. Um, but before we wrap this, I want to get to the most recent important moment and pivotal moment of the decade, which happened four weeks in to the 2018 season. Walk me through that moment. Yeah, I mean, definitely on my time on the Clemson beat, I cannot remember a storyline that dominated that the program quite like the Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence transition. And the reason why I included this in one of the most important moments is because when you hear people at Clemson talk about Trevor, they a lot of times had said that after Deshaun left the program, they didn't know if and when they would get another generational talent. And a year later, the generational talent <laughs> walked through the door. Yeah, maybe not generational. And that's in the sense of the actual word being once in a it's generation. Like, it's like the annual talent now. Yeah, yeah, once once a year. Um, so I remember hearing all of the hype around Trevor when he first got to campus. Everyone was saying it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. But you have someone with the track record, with the locker room, like Kelly Bryant had. I mean, we've talked about this decision a lot in the last couple of years, but take a step back and think about what it meant for Dabo Swinney to to sit that player to play a true freshman in that moment. Yeah, I remember like it was yesterday when it all came out and he had just said, he just kept saying over and over again, this is a bad day to be the head coach. It's a bad, bad day to be the head coach. And I mean, I think at that point, Trevor had the body of work to where you felt comfortable and you felt confident in the switch, but you're also kind of running a risk as we saw the very next week when yep. when Trevor gets hurt during Syracuse and because of the new red shirt rule, Kelly had an option and he took that option. And so um, I don't know that we've talked enough about, you know, it. Uh, and of course it was the right choice at the time, but I don't know that we've given maybe Dabo enough credit for it. It was still kind of a risky choice, you know? Oh, this yeah. A true freshman. I mean, you saw what he could do, but, you know, Kelly Bryant's not your backup. Your, your third stringer is now your backup. So I right. just it's, remember it's, that it's being not crazy. Quite, it's, it's like it's not a – it was very emblematic of the time. It was obviously the first year of the redshirt rule, but it was emblematic of this time of the transferring and the portals and really just how hard it is to keep two quarterbacks on a roster anywhere right now. And I think that that was part of it. But you're right, knowing that you don't have a safety net when you make that decision and you have to go all in with a true freshman that you think is ready, you think is mature enough. Um, but yeah, incredibly risky and worked out well. And, um, you know, obviously couldn't have worked out better for Clemson. But just a remarkable moment and decision that was easy to second guess in the moment. It was very easy to second guess a week later. For the rest of the year, you're waiting for Trevor Lawrence to have a freshman moment, and he doesn't. And then, obviously, that culminates in thrashing Alabama in the national championship game, which, again, at that point, I think you have to use the word dynasty or empire now that we found empire. Empire, yeah. Possible like synonym. <laughs> um <laughs> But or let's see what what are some other there's not really any other good ones um, dynasty they have grasp on the sport that would work grasp like G R A S P yeah like they have a grasp on the sport I think you could say, ooh clan but that's more like Game of Thrones like a dynasty 
like a family house. Like, I think Empire. I like Empire. I like Empire. 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 Empire, yeah. But I really think Dynasty is the only word you could say. I mean, like, they've just been dominant. They've gone toe-to-toe with Alabama. Um, we think Alabama's had a dynasty during this decade. I think you have to put Clemson up there. They've, they have, you know, senior classes that have set records for the amount of wins over a four-year career. Um, just, just incredible, just really incredible. I think the one main thing that I think looking back at this decade, especially, you know, as you mentioned with Deshaun Watson, your all-decade player, is just that it's, it's remarkable that he never won the Heisman. Like that yeah. really stands out when you take a few years you know, removed from the situation and look back on it. Because if the voting had been after the postseason that year, he would have ran away with it. Oh, for sure. I kind—I wish the voting was later. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's, it's a regular season award and I get that, but I really think that, you know, certainly it should matter when you see Deshaun Watson do what he does against basically an NFL front in Alabama. Um, that should count for something extra a little bit ind- individually. Um, but that's, that's really the only thing that I don't think happened for Clemson in this decade. Yeah. I mean, and Dabo has joked around before, you know, if Deshaun Watson can't win the Heisman, you know, who can? Um, but yeah, I yeah mean, they've, I, I, they've accomplished that's, everything. And it's also kind of interesting in 2019 where, you know, Trevor basically got quote unquote disqualified with all those early interceptions um, and then Travis Etienne just like gets no momentum really, even though he's has crazy numbers, insane levels of numbers of, of yardage after the catch, after, um, after he's been hit, you know, I mean, it's just, he, maybe he's right. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> that it was that's like really the, sh- the one, the last thing that Dabo, I mean, granted, he doesn't, I don't think he would say that's the last thing he needs to do, but he had, he, right. He's got national championships, AC championships. Christian Wilkins won the academic version of the Heisman. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just checked every box. Yeah. I think like as a, I think a lot of coaches would love to have a Heisman winner. I mean, I remember when like, you know, when Lamar Jackson won it at Louisville and they, you know, talking about what that meant for their program. But I just think it's a really cool thing to be the coach, you know, in New York when they are lifting that trophy and to get to see that. And I know they're all team guys and all of that, but that really is it. I mean, I think, you know, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, if we're saying we're nitpicking Clemson's decade and saying, well, man, they, they didn't win a Heisman. Like, that certainly is a successful decade. So um, that's it for Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast from The Athletic. That's our all-decade team slash podcast. Go ahead and read Grace's piece at The Athletic if you haven't. goes through the entire roster, um, all the lists of the moments, player of the decade, Um, and some funny Dabo quotes sprinkled in. Um, We will be back with our next podcast coming up on Monday. We'll talk to you then.